to the weekly message from Angel of Joy Lutheran Church, an ELCA congregation located in Lufkin, Texas. Pastor Paul Guy and the family of Angel of Joy invite you to join us for worship at 10.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. If you should find yourself in our neighborhood, please enjoy this message and visit our website at angelofjoy.org. Dear friends in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This is kind of a follow-up of what we first heard about last week with John the Baptizer and the day that Jesus came to him and was baptized in the Jordan River. This is the Gospel of John, which was was uh, written later than the other Gospels, of course, and so is a little bit more of a, an editorial or a theological viewpoint than, than Luke and Matthew and Mark. And so we're kind of intrigued with some of the, the information that we got in the Gospel of John. According to Luke, John, for example, was Jesus' cousin. We first heard about that when we heard about Mary and Elizabeth when they were pregnant. And yet, John writes that John the baptizer said, I don't know him, but he is the Lamb of God. Didn't know this fellow before. It's kind of hard to figure out what he means by that, and there are uh, theological viewpoints, one that says everything is in the Bible is absolutely literal as written, and then there are the more questionable interpretations, which tend to say, well, it's all just a metaphor or allegory, it's just imagery. And then we find ourselves pretty much somewhere in the middle saying that, well, there are some discrepancies in the Bible, but the truth in the Bible is pure and is spoken by God. In other words, there's something more than just the words that's present in Holy Scripture. And if there are discrepancies like did John never see Jesus before or was he a cousin doesn't really matter what John said is true he is the Lamb of God now when you hear that imagery it draws us back in time for the most part to the the time when the Israelites long before 2,000 years before were enslaved and captive in Egypt You know the story of the Passover when Pharaoh kept refusing Moses' overtures to let the people go, let them be free, let them pursue their destiny somewhere else. Miracles took place, water turning to blood, the plagues of boils and grasshoppers or locusts, all kinds of things to try to get Pharaoh to say, I give up. But he always either didn't say, I give up, or he said, I give up, and changed his mind until that great last plague, the horrible one where the death angel went through the streets of the city, the capital city of Egypt, and the firstborn died. 
And as you know, the way that the Jewish people or the Hebrew people survived was to slay a Passover lamb, to paint the doorways with its blood, and then to roast the meat and to eat it quickly. Because God said, when I act, things are going to happen fast and you don't have time to dawdle. Well, ever since that time, the Jewish people down through the ages have celebrated the Passover, remembering that God redeemed them and saved them from the death angel by the blood of a lamb. And so theologians have speculated that the Lamb of God meant that he would be slain, Jesus, and it was his blood that would save us. That's very likely true, but there are some theologians that say it goes further back than that. It goes all the way back to Abraham when when God told him to take his beloved son Isaac and to slay him, to build an altar, put his boy on the altar, and to kill him as an offering to God. And you know that story as well, I think. He did all the things that God told him to do. He went to the wilderness. He took his dear son Isaac with him. He built an altar. He put the boy on it and was ready to slay him. And God said, stop, stop, Abraham. I know your heart now. I know as much as you love your son, you love me more. That's all I wanted to know. So I don't, don't want you to kill him after all. And just then they heard the bleeding of a, of a lamb in the wilderness. And they slayed that one as the sacrifice to God instead. So there's another imagery, the Lamb of God, the one who was slain instead of us. Well, John certainly had something in mind when he said, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I got to thinking, how does Jesus take away the sin of the world? Does he snatch it up? Does he sort of like a vacuum cleaner pull it out of us? Make us clean again? Are we restored by this this sin taker? Or does something else take place? And I think it's something else that takes place. He doesn't take away the sin of the world, but he pays the penalty of sin. You see, each one of us, by our human nature, and goodness knows whether that's from original sin or or something else, but we all know that we are not without sin. We have committed offenses in the eyes of God. We have broken the rules, and we're going to continue breaking rules, whether intentionally or not. There are times when we're going to lose our temper, and we're going to be out of control, and we'll look back and wish we hadn't said what we did or did what we did, but... We know there's something in us that makes us less than perfect. And yet God demands perfection. How does this come about? And that's why he sent Jesus into the world, because he knew from the very beginning that neither those those freed slaves out of Egypt in the wilderness of Sinai nor we here in East Texas today can obey those Ten Commandments in their entirety. 
Oh, we may not kill. We may not steal. We may not commit adultery. We may not do all of these things that we're commanded not to do. And we may do all the things that we, in our own mind that we're supposed to do. Honoring God. Keeping the Sabbath. But we know we're sinful just the same. So what happens No, Jesus doesn't take the sins away and deposit them someplace else. He doesn't save our sins. Although sometimes confirmants think that. They say Jesus saves our sins. No, he saves us from the penalty of our sins. The sins get swept away by the grace of God. So, sin taker? Nope. The penalty payer, yes. Jesus died on the cross not just because he didn't have a choice, not just because he was betrayed and because angry men demanded his death. No, he died because it was necessary. Because it was the only way for us to be made pure and to have our passports to heaven for all time stamped It's not red ink in the passport, you know. It's his blood. Now, I'm intrigued by Jesus' question that follows that imagery on verse 38 when he said, you know, those people came to him and he said, what are you looking for? What are you looking for, Andrew? That's a fundamental question for us here today as well. What are you looking for in life? Where are you headed? What is your fundamental orientation? What are your goals? What do you really want? It changes, doesn't it? When we're young, no, I can't speak for you. I can tell you when I was young, I first wanted to be a fireman. Probably not an unusual thing in those days. You know, the fire truck, the uniforms... It's exciting, the horns putting out the fires. Later on, when I was a a lot more mature, I wanted to grow up to play first base for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Not too many people in East Texas aspire to that. It's more the Astros or the Rangers, perhaps. And if that were the case... I would have earned a lot more money than I have as a pastor. (laughs) And if I tithed, oh my goodness, we'd be in good shape. I was thinking there's a Dodger that just signed a contract this past week that's going to pay him over $30 million a year for the next seven years. Good for him. He may be the best pitcher in baseball. I don't know. But I do know that I sure wish he was a member of Angel of Joy Lutheran Church. And and I don't care if he didn't tithe. Just 5% of that salary would be enough to put a smile on my face. And our treasurers. <laughs> yeah. I grew older, and somewhere along the line, I aspired to be a pastor. And here I am today. I aspired to marry a a good, 
beautiful woman, and I did that by the grace of God. Our dreams change. Somewhere along the line, many of us aspire to get a college degree. That happens too. But what is it we're looking for in life? That is the key, I think. Life itself. So much of our lives seem to be either about survival or acquisition of wealth. And I don't mean being rich beyond our imagination. I mean just having enough to make the ends that we feel are important to us a reality. And which is probably a projection of the survival instinct. In any case, we want to survive as best we can. But, you know, we think of sin and we think of evil, don't we? But I've spoken about this recently to a group that we that's studying together. Sin is not the opposite of evil or, or excuse me, of goodness. Evil is not the opposite of good. It's evil is the perversion of good, taking something good and making something distorted and wrong out of it. Sin is not about morality. Sin is about mortality. It's about saving our skin. Sin is what keeps us from eternal life. Sin is what keeps us from the perfection that we think God demands of us, but that Jesus has already won for us. And since Jesus, by his death and his resurrection, the two go hand in hand, they're inseparable. That's what gives us hope for the future. And I say now, when you know that death is not final, when we take our last mortal breath, when the doctor signs the death certificate and they bundle us off to the mortuary, when we know that that is no longer the end of our being, then we find it that there's a whole lot more to life than simply trying to preserve it. The possibilities abound. Jesus was the Lamb of God. He was the one that gave us the hope for the future, a future without termination, without limits. And it takes away our fear of doing what we feel the Spirit is calling us to do. There was a TV ad. I don't know if they still have that catchphrase, but the catchphrase that they used to have for the Army, do any of you remember that one? Be all that you can be in the Army. I was in the Army, and I glad I did that. I mean, looking back, it was one of the best times. The people I worked with, the skills I learned, the places I, I went. It was a wonderful experience, but it wasn't all that I could be. Be all that you can be. A child of God. That, I think, is where it's at. Today, we're gathered together as a people that uh, with a lot of spaces in between us. Some of you are sitting closer to each other because maybe because you like each other or because you, you share the last name or, 
or maybe because we are a family in God. I miss the people that aren't here this morning, but they're part of us too. And they share the destiny that we do. God has called us to be all we can be because we can be all that we can be. We can do that with the the guidance and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We can do it because we know that our destiny is wide open. That if we don't make... We don't have to be afraid that if we make a mistake, we'll be snuffed out like that. And it's over. We know that... Well, as Abraham Lincoln is quoted as as having said, the person who never made a mistake never learned a thing. Well, we've learned a lot, haven't we? We've learned a lot in our respective lives, and we've even learned a lot together. Most of all, we've learned that we can go forward because those sins are no longer nailing us in place. And those sins are not nailing us in our caskets. Jesus took away the penalty of sin. And so today, as a pretty well-known American whose birthday is coming up pretty soon once said, we are free. Today's sermon is about freedom. What I've given you is a bunch of words and ideas, but you make it come alive. And I bless you for that. May you have a truly blessed week as you live in all fullness and peace. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please provide feedback on the iTunes podcast page and visit our website at angeljoy.org for more information.